May the words that I speak and the meditation of our hearts and minds be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Last Sunday, we began a new sermon series based on St. Paul's letter to the Romans. And so each week, we're taking a different segment of the book of Romans. Uh, Last week, we were in chapter 1. Today, we're actually going to look at a portion of chapter 3. Before we dig into Romans chapter 3, however, I, I want to underscore an important point. And that is that today, June 25th, is actually a very historic date in the history of the Lutheran Church. I'm not sure if you knew about June 25th. But on June 25th, 1530, that is 13 years after Martin Luther posted his 95 theses on the church door in Wittenberg, Germany, in June 25th, 1530, the Lutherans presented a statement of their beliefs to the emperor of the Holy Roman Empire of German nations, as it was called, Charles V. They did this in the town of Augsburg, Germany. And the document that they presented has come to be known as the Augsburg Confession, a statement of what the Lutherans stand for and believe based on the Bible. The picture I want you to see on the screens next is an artist's rendition of that imperial meeting in Augsburg, Germany, referred to as the Diet of Augsburg, a meeting of the emperor and various individuals. If you look at that picture, what may not be clear is that most of the people attending that meeting were not clergymen, not pastors. There were some, but the vast majority of people attending that meeting, making a statement about what they believe, were lay people. A number of them were princes and dukes, uh, uh, royalty officials from various city-states around uh, the German nations. But they came together to say, this is what we believe as Lutherans. I think I want to underscore that point, that most of them were lay people. Because I truly believe that it's extremely important that the lay members of the congregations of our church be theologians. See, it's not just the pastors that are theologians. Anyone who studies God, anyone who reads God's Word is a theologian. And you, the lay people, have just as important a role in standing up and saying, this is what I believe and this is why I believe it based on the Bible. And that's what they were doing. They were saying, this is what we believe based on the Bible. Now, the next picture shows what the building looks like today where this meeting took place. Our travel group was at that location a couple weeks ago. The building's been renovated, but that tower is original. It was there when the Lutherans presented their Augsburg Confession. The author of the Augsburg Confession was a good friend and fellow theologian of Martin Luther's by the name of Philip Melanchthon. He authored this as well as others of the Lutheran confessional writings Uh, later put together. But the Augsburg Confession, even 
today remains one of our premier statements of what it is we believe as Lutheran Christians. Fifty years later after this meeting, the Augsburg Confession, along with ten other statements of belief, were compiled into one book known as the Book of Concord. But the Augsburg Confession is the primary one. It states what we believe. And it does that in various topics, 28 different topics, as a matter of fact, in 28 different articles. It covers such topics as what do we believe about baptism? Every, all Christians claim that they believe in the Bible, of course. But then when you ask specific questions about specific teachings, different ideas come forward. So what do we as Lutherans believe about baptism? What do we as Lutherans believe about the Lord's Supper? That also is addressed in the Augsburg Confession. What do we believe about Christ's second coming, His return on the last day? That's covered as well. Along with uh, such topics as, what is a Christian view of civil government? How are we to view elected leaders in government? Right on down the line, a number of other topics. But the key issue, the key issue addressed by the Augsburg Confession is this. How is a person saved from God's judgment, God's condemnation? How is a person saved from God's judgment? And in the Augsburg Confession, in article number four, it addresses that question. It's entitled Justification. Article number four, Justification. And this is where, by the way, today's scripture text from the book of Romans comes into play. Yes, all of this does have something to do with the book of Romans. The book of Romans served as one of the foundational texts that the Lutherans used to make their presentation about what they believed. And what we're going to look at today is foundational to all of that. Today, admittedly, we are kind of going back to the basics with this sermon today. Back to the basics of the foundations of our faith. Sometimes I think it's, it's good to do that. A kind of a review of the foundational teachings of what we believe as Christians. In the opening verses of our text here, it picks up where St. Paul left off last week, if you will, talking about this topic of a righteousness that comes from God to the believer in Jesus. We start with verse 21 of chapter 3. This will sound familiar because he's repeating what he had said in chapter 1. He said, But now a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Paul is reiterating what he had said back in chapter 1, verse 17. And if you were here last Sunday, you recall that it was chapter 1, verse 17 that Martin Luther was studying in his study in this house in Wittenberg. And during the time he was studying that verse, he had what he called his tower experience, where he came to understand that the phrase righteousness of God is not about God's uh, anger at the sinner, and his judgment on sin. But righteousness of God is talking about the perfection of God that is given to the believer in Jesus through his or her faith. We receive the gift of God's righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. 
when Martin Luther understand that, the light bulbs came on for him and he finally understood the good news of the scriptures. Well, Paul reiterates that same truth here. A righteousness from God apart from law has been made known and this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Now, Paul continues. And as he goes on in the next section, uh, the next verse in this section of, of chapter 3, he lays out a very serious issue. He lays out the seriousness of the problem that all people have, irregardless. The problem of a radical self-centeredness. We call it sin. Sin that separates us from God. He says in Romans 3, starting in verse 22, There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's no difference. Everybody's the same. Everybody's in the same boat with this problem. We're all sinners. We all fall short of God's expectations. We fall short of the glory of God. I want to challenge you to think about something. Imagine for a moment all of your thoughts, all of your words, and all of your actions being weighed on God's scale of justice. Mm. Just think about that. Every thought you've ever had, every word you've ever spoken, every action you've ever taken, all of that weighed on God's scale of justice. And think about it. According to God's scale of justice, one sin is enough to condemn us. If we think about the balance of scales, one sin tips that thing too far. And nothing I can do can counterbalance it because sin is sin and sin condemns me. According to God's standard, one sin is enough to condemn me. I don't know about you, but I'm the first to say I'm way beyond one sin. (laughs) I've blown that scale a long time ago by my thoughts, my words, my actions. I think I dare say you have too. And so we come to the key question for the day. So how can anyone be saved from God's judgment, from God's condemnation? How can anyone be saved if all are sinners? Well, thankfully, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, St. Paul provides us the answer in the next few verses. So this section of Romans 3 is so critically important. Listen to what he says. We are justified freely by His grace, that is God's grace, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. I'm going to pause right there for a moment. There is an awful lot in that one verse. In fact, there's some key words I want to unpack the meaning of a little bit here, okay? First of all, he uses the word grace. We're justified freely by God's Grace. Let's be clear on what grace is. The way Paul uses the word grace, it's talking about God's undeserved love for us. We don't deserve it. He just loves us anyway. And it's out of that unconditional, undeserved love for us that he took an action to save us, that we might be with him forever. Grace, God's undeserved love for us. He used another term, redemption. 
We are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. What's that all about? Redemption. Another way to translate that word is the ransoming. That term comes right out of first century uh, Roman culture. You see, in Roman society, slavery was practiced. People were put into slavery. And the only way that a slave could be set free would be if someone who was free paid a very high price called the redemption price or the ransoming price, a large amount of money to set that slave free. And from that point forward, that slave could go free. It was the ransoming price, the redemption price. St. Paul borrowed that word and applied it to what God did for us in Jesus Christ. That God, in His Son Jesus, paid the redemption price to buy you and me out of slavery, slavery to sin, and set us free. The price was the life of His Son Jesus. His death on the cross was the price that had to be paid. Another phrase that Paul uses in this section is that God presented Him, that is Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement. Sacrifice of atonement. That phrase takes us back to the Old Testament, doesn't it? Back to the days when the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies in the temple on the Day of Atonement once a year and would take a lamb with him and slaughter that lamb and offer that lamb's blood as payment for the sins of the people. He would atone for the sins of the people by that sacrifice. Paul is saying, God did that on a grander scale, that Jesus was the sacrifice of atonement, that he who is the perfect lamb of God spilled his blood as payment for our sins. And then there's a, there's a fourth word that I want us to grapple with, and that is the word justified. Paul says we are justified freely by his grace. What does it mean to be justified? Well, that is a legal term right out of the the ancient Roman court system. And the word justified basically means declared not guilty. Declared not guilty. Let me ask you, how many of you, by raising your hands, have ever been in a courtroom? Now, I'm not implying that you were convicted of a crime, okay? Maybe you were on a jury. Maybe you were a witness, Uh, Maybe you're an attorney or a judge or a retired judge, or maybe you were just attending a courtroom session. Anybody been in a courtroom? Oh, quite a few hands. Okay. All right. I want you to imagine a scenario for just a moment. The scenario is this. There's a courtroom, and the judge is in his seat, and into the courtroom comes a man accompanied by a prosecuting attorney and a defense attorney. The man has already been convicted of murder by a jury of his peers. He now appears before the judge on sentencing day to receive sentence for his crime. He's standing before the judge, and the judge says, We all know why we're here. Sir, you were convicted of murder by a jury of your peers, and the punishment for murder is death by electrocution. However... My son is with us today. Say hello to my son. 
And I am making the decision to send my son to the electric chair in your place, sir. I justify you. I declare you not guilty. You are free to go. Can you imagine that happening in a court of law? Wouldn't happen, would it? Essentially, that's what God did for us. We were the criminals. We were the ones who deserved damnation. And in our place, the judge sent his son to the cross. And now he says to you and to me who believe in his son, I justify you. I declare you not guilty. You are free. Almost unbelievable, isn't it? That is the amazing love and grace of God. And that is what justification is all about. And that was the main issue of the Augsburg Confession. That was the main thing that the people were presenting to the emperor. That we are declared not guilty through faith in Jesus Christ alone. For to justify means to declare not guilty. Now notice in that little scenario... The crime had to be punished. The judge couldn't just ignore it and pretend it didn't happen. Say, okay, you murdered somebody, we'll let you go. Somebody had to pay for it. Likewise with God. God couldn't just ignore our sin. Someone had to pay for it. And it was either going to be us who deserve it, or it would be a substitute. God chose the substitute, his own innocent son. God the judge punished his own son in our place on the cross. That truly is the essence of the message of this book. It's what the Bible is all about. It's what the Christian message is all about. It's what our hope is based on. It's what our certainty is founded on. That through Jesus Christ, we are forgiven and saved. Now, St. Paul continues. I want to pick up with that verse and then continue on. So he said, We are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. He did this to demonstrate His justice because in His forbearance, He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. All the sins of all the people from the Old Testament days, all the sins of all the people up until the point where Jesus died for us, all that was unpunished. And now justice was carried out. He continues, He did it to demonstrate His justice at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. In other words, what Paul is saying is God the judge accomplished two things. First of all, he made sure justice was carried out. Justice was fulfilled. Sin was punished in full at the cross as his son was condemned for us. But secondly, God the judge declared not guilty all those who have faith in Jesus as their Savior. He justified us. And friends, that's you. That's you and me who believe in Jesus as our Savior. And where the rubber hits the road with all of this, friends, is, is all that stuff that we carry with us in our minds and in our hearts from the past that we regret. All the shame about our thoughts, words, and deeds 
all the regrets, all the guilt, that stuff we hang on to. Jesus wants us to understand that he died to forgive it all. And that through faith in him, we are declared not guilty. And we stand before God with the perfection of Jesus wrapped around us, ready to be received into the eternal kingdom when the time comes. This brings us to the last two verses, which is Paul's conclusion to this chapter. He says, where then is boasting? Yeah, where then is boasting? Who could possibly boast? It is excluded, he says. On what principle? On that of observing the law? On that of me thinking that my good deeds can outweigh my bad deeds on God's scale of justice? No way. No, not on that basis, but on that of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. So we come back to the question of the day. How is a person saved from God's judgment, God's condemnation? Could you explain it to someone in a way that they would understand it? Let's be clear. We are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus. We are saved by the one who paid the redemption price to set us free. We are saved because that price was the life of Jesus, the innocent Son of God. We are saved because the blood of the Lamb of God atoned for our sin in full. And we are saved because God has declared us not guilty through faith in Jesus. How are we saved? Certainly not by our own works and not by our own power. We are saved by His power. Thanks be to God for his amazing grace. Amen. And may the peace of God which passes human understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus your Savior. Amen.